0: We have heard many times that our choices matter. We know this is true because our life is shaped by the choices that we make. We make our choices, and then what happens is our choices turn around and make us. Uh, we see that in every one of our lives, the result of our choices. I'm, uh, well, let's say I'm in my mid-40s, we'll go with that. I am the sum total of all the choices I've made over the years of my life. When I was 12 years old, my dad and I it was about that was the year I decided, or I felt God's calling on my life uh, for what I would do with my life, and talked to my dad quite a bit about it. I had two choices, uh, or two options that I could go with, two directions. I could be a professional football player. I don't know why you're laughing, but. Uh, and and uh, or I could be a preacher. That was the two things, that was my two options. I could be playing the Super Bowl tonight. Instead, I'm here with you, amen? By the way, that's better. I'm glad to be here. But those uh, the result of choices, choices I made way back then of the direction that would take my life. Uh, I was a college sophomore in Shelby, North Carolina and began to notice this new girl on campus, and I was a little nervous because she was pretty popular. And uh, I asked her about a plane ticket, even though planes did not fly to where I lived. And one thing led to another, and we celebrate 30 years this year, uh, our anniversary, right? 30 years. Okay, good. Whew. Okay. I am what I am, where I am, and do what I do as a result of thousands of choices, and so are you. You're where you are tonight because of choices you made throughout your life. We make our choices, and our choices turn around and make us. They're so important then, so crucial, that we make the right ones. I want to look tonight, let's read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we'll start to talk about our section of Habakkuk tonight. I will stand upon my watch, set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now we're going to look at other verses throughout this chapter, but that's all we'll read for our main text. And tonight I want to talk to you about this subject of choices. Father, I pray you'd help us now use your word and help us to learn from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Because our choices matter, the Bible talks much about them. Joshua was an old man nearing death, and he reminded the people of God all that God had done for them. And then he urged them to make a choice. He said in Joshua 24:15, "...and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord..." Choose you this day whom you will serve. That's a pretty important choice to make, isn't it? Whether the gods your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so he told them, hey, make a choice. Choose who you're going to serve. But I'll tell you who I've chosen. I've chosen to serve the Lord, me and my house. Years later, Elijah stood atop Mount Carmel and he challenged the people in First Kings 18. He said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. And if Baal, follow Him. But what he's saying is, get off the fence and make a choice. At some point, you've got to choose who you're going to serve. Jesus talked about this choice in the New Testament. You cannot serve God or mammon. You'll either hate the one and love the other, you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You've got to make a choice. What are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? Psalm 1-6 shows us the end result of this ultimate choice of who we will serve. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We can add this solemn warning from the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew seven thirteen. Enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life and few there be that find it. Every person is on a journey right now all towards life or death. Jesus called it a way. There's one way that's wide and broad and many people are on it. That's one way that's narrow and straight and very few people are on it. One way is easy, one way is hard. Make sure you're on the right road. uh, Many take the easy way, few take the hard way. Jesus is saying here, make sure you're on the right road because you don't want to end up in a place you never wanted to be at in the first place. Here's a deep, deep theological truth for you. The direction you walk will determine the place you end up. How's that for deep? deep? You thought I wasn't that smart. I'm telling you, I'm that smart. The direction you walk is going... So, if, in other words, if I'm walking this direction, I'm probably going to end up over there, right? That's pretty much common sense. And here's the problem with us as Christians. We have, we have upward goals and desires, and we have upward... Uh, we, 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 uh, we want to be up there, want to be successful, but we have downward habits, and we have downward actions, and if you have a downward habit, you're not going to move up towards success. Uh, we have to get on the right road, make the right choices. Our choices do matter. We make our choices and then our choices make us. Never is this more important than when hard times come into our life. When trials hit us and life seems to move against us. When trouble comes, that's when you find out very quickly what you really believe. And that's what's happening here to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is finding out what he truly and really believes We've already talked a little bit about it. Habakkuk, uh, The the book of Habakkuk records a conversation uh, between the prophet and God. In chapter 1, they speak to each other. In chapter 2, God speaks to Habakkuk. And in chapter 3, Habakkuk will speak to God. When trouble comes, you'll find out what you're made of. You'll find out what you really believe. It's like a tea bag. How many of you drink tea? All right, that's fine as long as you also drink coffee. Okay, coffee is better and uh, good for you. And so tea is okay as long as it's a secondary drink. Okay. But if you put tea, a tea bag in a cup, um, and put it in hot water, uh, that hot water will reveal what's already in that tea bag. It's not creating anything. It's just bringing out what's already in there. And that's what hard times will do for you as well. It'll show you what you're made of and show you who you really are. So now God here is bringing Habakkuk face to face with a choice that he must make. And as we pick up the story here in chapter 2, we left Habakkuk last time. He's waiting for an answer. And uh, we see here in this passage three instructions. Now, just to give you a little review, uh, God had told Habakkuk that uh, he's going to use the Babylonians to judge Israel, and Habakkuk was appalled. How do you use really wicked people to judge kind of wicked people? Like, they're more wicked than Israel ever was, and you're using these horrible people to judge just these simply bad people. And he couldn't understand, and he had a lot of questions about it, and he didn't get it, he still doesn't get it. So in the beginning of chapter 2, he says, you know what, I'll I'll wait, I'll watch, I'll sit on my watchtower, and I'm going to wait for God's answer. And then God here gives him three instructions. He tells him to write, to wait, and to remember. Let's look at all three. Look at verse number 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Make it plain. God wants to make His will clear. Uh, If God planned you before the world began, do you think He'd make it hard for you to find His will? Not at all. Some people think that the will of God is like an invisible door that you're supposed to try to find, and you you search after it, and you seek after it, and God (coughs) is standing behind it, and when you pass it, ha-ha, you missed it. That's not it at all. God wants you to know His will. He doesn't hide it. Uh he there would be no purpose for him to keep you in the dark. Uh what he says to Habakkuk here is not some secret coded message only for him. Instead it's a message for the whole nation. He says, Write it, make it plain. So people know he wants to make his will plain. Now the, the problem is, and this is a rabbit trail, I don't I know there's not much meat on rabbits, so I don't often chase them. but there's uh the the, the the key to finding God's specific will for our life is found in God's general will for our life. And uh, a lot of times people want to bypass the general will of God to try to get the specific will of God because we are inherently selfish people and so we uh, focus on us. But if you want to know what God wants you specifically to do, then you do what God wants all Christians to do. Read your Bible, be kind, be forgiving, be loving and uh, witness and all the things the Bible tells us to do we ought to be busy doing and you won't have any problem finding God's specific will for you. So he said, right. Secondly, he says, wait. Look at verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, those of you who've known me more than five minutes know that is one of my worst words in the English language. Wait. I don't like to wait. And God may seem slow, but he's never late. He never delays... With the, uh, with the idea of t- to hurt us. He is an on-time God, but he doesn't always seem like that to us. You ever notice when you're praying for something really big that the answer seems to take forever to come? Uh, when I'm really burdened about something, sometimes it seems like I have to wait and wait and wait, and sometimes it's easy to give up. I read this illustration of a girl who had a a little girl who had a nice piggy bank. And her father wanted to teach her about saving. And so he talked her into taking the money that she had saved in her piggy bank and opening a savings account. And he explained to her the idea of interest. He says, when you put your money in a savings account, they pay you interest to have that money. And yet it can grow that way. So the big day came. They went down to the bank. She gave her piggy bank to the woman behind the counter. And they uh, went through the uh, opening of the account. And then she just stood there and stared at the woman. The lady asked, is there something else I can do for you? And the little girl answered, no, I'm just waiting on my interest. Now, what she didn't understand is there's a little bit of a delay between the sowing of the money and the reaping of the interest. There takes a little time has to pass there, and that's the way it is in life. We need to understand a couple of very important facts about life. Uh, The things happening in your life right now are a result of what you've sown in the past. They're a result of the choices you've made in the past. You are reaping the harvest of what you sowed a long time ago. Now, the second thing we have to understand is what will happen in the future for you will be determined what you sow in your life today. If you want to change your future, change what you're sowing, and that'll determine what your future is. And so again, it comes back to making the right choices in your life. We can slide into despair, asking if God even can hear us. Where is God? In times of trouble, suddenly the answer comes here to Habakkuk that God wants to make His will clear. Now, one reason is that God will not share His glory with anyone. Sometimes He delays so that later we can't say, well, it was my faith or my actions that made the difference here. Uh, He answers in His own time, in His own way, so that we end up saying, my soul to God alone be the glory. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 11, Jesus got word that Lazarus, his friend, was sick. And the sisters sent uh, a, a uh, text via a runner to him. Come quick, Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick. What did Jesus do? Did he come quick? No, he hung out for two more days or he was at. Took his sweet time. And then when he finally did decide to go uh, to where they were. Yeah, both sisters met him at separate times and both of them said, Jesus, you're late. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But he's now dead. But I want to take you and just in your mind, think about this. Think about the day after Jesus raised Lazarus. How do you think the sisters felt then? Do you think they at that time thought, man, I wish Jesus would have shown up two days earlier and healed him? Or did they think, wow, wow, Jesus' way was better. Because what they asked was for restoration. What he gave them was resurrection. Jesus' way is always better if we just trust him. And so uh, God says to Habakkuk here, not today, not tomorrow, but the answer is on the way. Hold on, wait for it. Oh, we don't like waiting. But he even does say, it will surely come. The Babylonians will be judged. In the end, they'll be destroyed. God will balance the scales of justice. But here is the thing that bothers us: He's not working on our timetable. I, I would, I tell you what, I would like to schedule God's actions, wouldn't you? I need you to do this on this day and get this done by this time. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But He doesn't work on our timetable. Somebody said, "If you want to make God laugh, show Him your plans." Amen. Uh, he does it on His timetable. Waiting for God, by the way, is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not an abandonment for effort, uh, of effort. Waiting on God means, uh, first, our activity is under control. Second, it means we're ready for any new command that He might have for us. Third, it's the ability to do nothing until the command is given. And I think that last one's the most difficult, because we don't like to do nothing, or I don't anyway. But though God seems to linger, He does not delay. He's always on time, just not on our timetable remember that next time you feel like giving up when you're praying. Remember that God will do what He will do, and it is always best, even when we can't always see it. And then thirdly, He says to remember. Look at verse number 4. Behold, His soul which is lifted up is not upright in Him, but the just shall live by His faith. Yea, also because He transgresseth by wine, He is a proud man, and neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell and is in, is as death and cannot be satisfied but gathereth unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people the he that that's talking about is babylon personified by Nebuchadnezzar the king historically babylon was as greedy as the grave the empire itself spread in all directions conquering cities and towns and provinces and whole nations nothing satisfied babylon's thirst for conquest there was always another nation to subdue and go after in the midst of all this rampage of terror, what should the people of God do? The answer comes in verse 4. It's kind of tucked away there. It simply says, the just shall live by his faith. What do you do when somebody's persecuting you? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when the enemy destroys your home? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when your loved ones are taken into captivity? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when Muslims falsely accuse you of adultery and apostasy? What do you do when they sentence you to death and shackle you to the floor in a prison cell? That's exactly what happened to Miriam Ibrahim. And she was uh, uh, she was arrested in uh, 2014. And May 27th of 2014, she gave birth to a daughter in prison. But what she did is she remembered that the just shall live by faith. The judge told, this is a quote by her, the judge told me that I needed to convert to Islam and so these warnings made me anticipate I would be sentenced to death. But still she would not recant her faith. Still she held strong in her faith in Christ. She's now an activist and a public speaker. This little phrase, the just shall live by faith, it's kind of tucked away there at the end of verse 4, is given almost as an aside. But for the Apostle Paul, it came, became a hallmark of the Christian gospel. He quoted it in Romans 1:17, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, and in Hebrews 10:38. When the dark clouds start to gather overhead, remember this: the just shall live by faith. Now Habakkuk only understood these words in the context of his own times. Six hundred years later, the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write the same words. Two thousand years later, we find rest for our souls in those words as well. The just shall live by his faith. Do you trust God? We need to trust him. Now, in the rest of chapter 2, describes how God is one day going to cut Babylon down. The mighty empire is going to be brought down and destroyed. God conveys this message through five woes to be found in verses 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19. Look at them very quickly. He says, first of all, there's going to be extortion. Verse 6, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. This described the Babylon's. Uh, When they took a city, they plundered it, took all of its valuables and wealth. They took the crops and the cattle. They carried off anything with value. They became rich through the misery of others. But God promised a day of judgment. One day Babylon is going down and they got away with it for a long time because no one dared stand against them. But God saw it all and in due time He would even the scales of justice. Oh, listen, friends, we've got to realize that God one day will bring justice. It's not up to us. Vengeance is not ours, it is His. Let's just trust Him and live by our faith in Him. And then we see arrogance in verse 9. Woe to him that coveteth to an evil con- uh, covetous to house, that he may set his nest on high. This refers partly to the walls of Babylon. They were 100 feet high, stretching almost 40 miles around the city. The Babylonians thought themselves completely invincible to attack. They believed no army could breach those fortifications. But look at what verse 11 says. For the stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Many years later, Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, would give a grand banquet. It would turn into a drunken orgy, interrupted by a single finger that would do a right on the wall. We see this in Daniel chapter 5. Babylon had been weighed in the scales of justice and found wanting. Now the kingdom would be taken from Babylon and divided between the Medes and the Persians. Mighty Babylon would be no more. I'm simply saying this because we got to realize that God in His time will bring justice. Yes, it seems terribly unfair at first to Habakkuk that God will use wicked Babylon to judge Israel. And yet, He will bring justice. We can always trust Him to do that. We see, thirdly, there was bloodshed. Look at verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth the city by iniquity. God hates those who build an empire on bloodshed. In the midst of all these words of judgment comes a glimpse of a better day. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God <clears throat> as the waters cover the sea. What he's talking about there is after the return of Christ, uh, Jesus is going to come back to an earth that rejected Him. The earth that had no room for the Son of God that mocked His words, doubted His character, that refused to believe He was the Messiah, that falsely accused Him, ultimately crucified Him. God is going to bring back His Son to earth that rejected Him, and one day the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we're not there yet. It will be a day with injustice gone, violence gone, abuse gone, abortion gone, uh, perversion gone, blasphemers gone. It's a vision of a better day coming. And then we look at immorality, verse number 15. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, that makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. This verse is a little indelicate. Uh, God's condemnation is here to those who would use alcohol as a tool for seduction. Alcohol changes behavior. And unfortunately, many people use it for that purpose. A person under the influence of alcohol will do things and say things that they normally would not say or do. People drink for happiness, become very unhappy. People drink for sophistication, and they become obnoxious. People drink for friendship, and they make enemies. People drink for bravery, and they become fearful. People drink for confidence, and they become doubtful. They drink to forget, and they're forever haunted. They drink for freedom and become slaves. They drink to erase problems and they end up multiplying their problems. Sin never delivers on its promise. It always advertises well, but it does not deliver on what it says it'll do for you. God promises judgment on those who use alcohol as a tool to lead others into immorality. You may, uh, you may justify it in your own mind, but God will not be fooled. When you entice another person to drink, you lower their standards against God Himself. And that's what this verse, uh, this woe warns against. Look at verse, uh, actually verse 16. Look next. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also. Let thy force can be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee. The shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. Uh, I'll put that in real simple English word. What goes around comes around. That's what that verse is saying. God always gets the last word. And then we see idolatry in verse 19. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. How ridiculous is it for a man to build something and then worship it? Build a a stone whatever or an idol and then worship it. This speaks of the absurdity of idolatry. Who in their right mind would believe that praying to a lifeless stone would make a difference. Pray to stones all you want, it says. Bow down to wooden altars all you want. Work yourself up into a frenzy. But idol worship is a complete waste of time. Your prayers will go unanswered because your idols have no life, he said. The wood cannot hear. The stone cannot speak. But I like what D.L. Moody said. You don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. We might not get down on our knees and bow down and pray to them, but boy, we do sure serve the God of materialism, don't we? We serve a lot of false gods in our culture. Today's idols are more in the self than on the shelf, and we have a problem with that that we need to make sure we don't uh, allow into our Christian lives. It's easy for us to talk about the absurdity of idolatry, but we need to examine our hearts. Is there something in your life right now, that you love more than God? Something that has more importance? What gets the most of your investment of time? Uh, What what, what is it that you love? What is it that you're passionate for? And uh, by the way, I know I'm speaking to the choir because here we are on a Sunday night uh, with arguably, I read yesterday that the show that's going on television right now between two teams that I could have been on had I made a different decision to me when I was age 12. Uh these two teams are fighting it out. All right? They uh it's the most watched uh event in history. Is what I read yesterday. They uh they expect it to be. Yet you're here. That's a blessing to me. I think that's a blessing because it shows what you're passionate about. And this is uh how we spend our time, how we spend our money how we spend all of our resources shows us what's important to us. Then we get to a funny command here. Look at verse number 20. This is not a call to worship, but a call to judgment. Look what he says. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Keep silence. The Hebrew word is hasah, and it simply means hush. <laughs> I like that. God says hush. All right. Uh, he looks at the nations and all their frantic clamor and he says, be quiet now. I'm about to judge the earth. Habakkuk, do you get it now? I'm going to judge Babylon in my way, in my time. So hush with your complaints. I have given you my answer. In 605 BC at this time, Babylon looked in, invincible. Less than a century later, the, the empire had completely disappeared. Waiting is hard. It's easy to despair when we wait. It's easy to doubt what God's doing. The world says, don't just stand there, do something. Sometimes God says, don't just do something, stand there. We need to learn to wait on Him. Babylon looks good in all its glory. Babylon always looks good until it is no more. And today we look at our Babylon, our culture, the wicked world around us as well, and we're intimidated by it. Don't be. We serve a God that's bigger than all the empires in the world. This old sin-cursed world may look uh, like it can never be defeated until it is. That's the whole point of Habakkuk chapter 2. Side with Babylon, you might win in the short run. Side with God, you'll win eternally. My, but we could say the same things today. I ask you, whose side are you on? And this comes back to our choices. We need to make the right choices about who we're going to serve. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Right now in our culture, Team Babylon seems to be winning the game. They control the media. They control the entertainment industry. They control the major universities. Team Babylon holds sway over our contemporary culture. And get this, Team Babylon has a huge recruiting budget. They have a great recruiting budget. They make an attractive pitch that's why so many of our young flock to Team Babylon. That's where the action seems to be. Even many Christians are drawn to the lights and the bling that, uh, that is all a part of being on Team Babylon. But the game isn't over till it's over. The only score that matters is the final score. The score has already been predetermined by God. You know what he says about it? Hush. He's got it in hand. Don't worry about it. He's the win. We. I've read the last chapter, friends. We win. Have you ever done that before? I remember uh, when I was just. We were just out of the Amish. My dad. Dad got a whole book of Hardy Boy books. Remember those? They were. Oh man. They you talk about exciting. I just. And I would read. And and I was a. I was a crazy reader when I was growing up. I re, I devoured books. But uh, I remember sometimes I would get so excited. I'd have. To, I just couldn't stand it anymore, and I slipped to the back of the book just to find out if they lived. I didn't have enough sense to know there was twenty books after this one. They had to live, or they wouldn't be any more books. But I was so consumed with knowing. My, I just hope they survived. And and uh, I've read the back of this book. Guess what? We win. We win. And he's got it in hand. Don't be discouraged. It'd be like Habakkuk. Be willing to wait. Sometimes we gotta wait for God to do the work in His time. Hush up join the right team, and 10,000 years from now, you'll be glad you did if you're on the right team. Whose side are you on? Joshua said it, and we all need to say it tonight. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the choice we need to make. Father, we thank you for the passage of Scripture that we can learn from Habakkuk so many years ago that he lived, and yet how relevant his message is to us today. I ask you to use this in our hearts Even as we separate tonight, go a separate ways. And I pray that you would help it to continue to ruminate throughout this week. Help us to make an impact in the harvest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You uh, can stand along with me and be dismissed. Appreciate you so much for making your way out tonight and uh, seeing us and being here. It's a blessing. God bless. You are dismissed.